Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's after three o'clock. Welcome back to The Gregor Show. Connor Halley with you. You can always get involved. Texas 10-1260. Email us in our Jiffy Lube inbox. Jay Gregor at tsn1260.ca. Our show is always presented by PlayAlberta.ca, where today get your tickets for, a, you can win a grand a day for the next 20 years. It's uh, over uh, 7.2 million bucks. It's cold, hard cash. A thousand bucks every day. Play it at PlayAlberta.ca. We welcome to the program... Jason Strudwick joins us uh, once again, former uh, NHLer, runner-up in uh, Battle of the Blades, minor hockey coach, runs the uh, Strudiwick D-Camp. Strudy, how you doing? I'm good. How's it going today? It's excellent. Did you have a trampoline growing up as a kid? No, no, no. My parents thought it was too risky. So, of course, as soon as I could, I bought one for my own kids. Did you <laughs> oh, get of one? We, uh, yes. Yes, I did. Pretty fired up, so I'll be. Uh, my son will get home from school today, and he'll see it set up in the backyard. I think he'll be pretty fired up. So. Did you set it up uh, solo, buddy? Uh, no, not solo, buddy. No, no but I will say this one because it's a springless. Although you call it springless, but yeah, compared to the one I set up at my buddy uh, Dan's house. I want to say, oh gosh, fifteen or twenty years ago, like, and that had like this uh, the spring. Remember, it had like the blue, and then it had the springs around on yeah. the top on the edge. And sometimes, yeah. if you bounce, you'd slide through it. Well, anybody who ever set one of those up, now I didn't have like supposedly there's this special wrench you could get. Well, we didn't have yeah. it. So setting up ninety five percent of it, no problem. Well, you got to the last few. Oh my goodness, it was the worst. And so I was dreading it. Uh, for this one, but then people are like, no, 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 this one is uh, significantly easier, and uh, it's true. It was uh, it was much easier to to do. So that's uh, that's nice. Yeah, that's great. The trampoline's a lot of fun. I, I we love it. Although I find I get in there, I, I get a little bit of queasy motos. So I I can't go forever. It's weird. Uh, I used to, I don't know what it is. Inner now, can you go on rides anymore? Not really. I still do, but I struggle through the whole thing. I can go on rides like Disneyland, but you know, like a swing? Oh, man. I just I, I bend the knee. I can't do it. You can't go on a swing? So you can't go on any no. like the spinny rides? I go on them, and I, I struggle, but it's worth oh. it. But I, I, yeah, I, it's crazy. Yeah. I, uh, the, I, I will say this. The, uh, the spin rides, I never loved them as a kid. Gravitron and other ones like that. Because uh, it, it just was never great at it. So anyone that's just like a straight spinner, I'm out. If it's got a few spins in it, I'm okay. But anything that's a straight spinner, I'm out. I just I can't do it, and it's even worse now. So 
Um, I do. I love roller coasters, though. Any roller coaster, I don't care. You get me on a. They could have multiple, multiple circles and stuff. I'm all over it. I love that. But I, uh, you're, you're not going to get me on the um, on anyone that's just spinning around. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, the gravitron was just a puke fest. Get on that one. You just be stapled to the wall and you get off, and people just be yakking all over the place. Oh, like mini donuts wasn't easy. Yeah. I was on the ride once, and the person puked on it. Ugh, that's that's terrible. Actually, I went to the uh, Rainmaker Rodeo, and I watched uh, my my son went on the kind of like the spider or the octopus. All depends which you know they have different names, different ones, the same thing. And so I'm standing there, and I'm watching people get off. And sure enough, this girl gets off. She's like 16, walks two steps off, and like five feet in front of me, bucks. Like she had just eaten like some beets or something. And I'm like, you know, like. To me, you don't go on a ride right after you've eaten. Like that's a, that's an obvious. Like that should be a carny rule. Somebody should be setting that up. Yeah, I agree. I it's it's the puking off the rides. I mean, that's but that's what you want. You want to go to that edge, right? I want to be pushed almost to the edge where I'm gonna puke, but I don't want to puke. Um, yeah, I like the. You know what I really do? I love the ups and downs. You know where they drop you. What was it? Drop of Doom, I think it was called. I love that one. That one, I, I love that. That didn't bother me at all. But, oh, man, I love the thrill. That is fun. Now, um, did you happen to watch the NBA game last night? Because uh, if you didn't, Struddy, Jokic and Murray, <laughs> as a duo right now, like if you look at NBA duos today, is there any that you would take ahead of those two? Well, you know, it's when you, I did watch the game. Um, duos I'd have today, I don't think I would because, you know, they're so complementary to each other, right? They're so different. It's not two similar type players as far as size. They're both very skilled, and obviously they can both distribute the ball, and, and Jokic is just crazy uh, at the rebounds. But, yeah, I mean, Booker and uh, the grim Slim, Slim Shady, maybe in Phoenix, would that be – Nope, the closest not me. thing you take. Now they're like they're Kevin Durant's age. There's no chance I'm doing that. But who's right? closer than those two? Like, is there someone closer? Than I don't think there is. That's my point. Like, I don't like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. If if they were healthy, let's say, because they're not that old. Even then, yeah. I'm not sure. I don't think I would. Like, just... I, you know, very different, right? You got two shooting guards. It's just you've got Murray that can hit a lot of shots, and then you've got Jokic who can hit shots. He, if you want to pound it inside, because that. Would, they barely took, in today's game, they barely took any three-pointers last night. They just pounded the ball inside and crushed them. Yeah, they love that. How many times do you see them take, like, a six-foot jumper? You know, that's a pretty rare thing to see. But I think that's right. Like, it, 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 what what makes them so unique is that they are unique from each other. They're not both similar. And they can beat you in either way. I mean, Jokic, I did not realize. And I, I watched, you know, him somewhat during the year. But I didn't realize how physical he is. That guy's elbows, is, he's, driving the, he's driving the paint hard. Like, he's really hard to handle. And you can see Bam or Kevin Love or whoever's guarding him. It's, it's a lot of man to guard. And then if you do kind of shut him down, he finds someone else to pass the ball to. So he's so, so physical. And, and I don't, like, and this isn't disrespecting the guys you mentioned in Golden State, but those two guys aren't that at all. Like, they're not looking for that kind of contact. Even Slim Shady there in, in Phoenix, he's not as physical a player as him. Uh, Booker. Is it you know LeBron's not like that anymore because you know you could you could say LeBron and uh, and uh, Davis there but you know they're both you know they're not the same players they used to be and obviously LeBron's quite a bit older so you know I'm trying to think who was with Joel Embiid 
it's well, it's I guess Harden. I wouldn't take the. I mean, that's somewhat of the difference between those two guys. But I still wouldn't take. I would still take Jokic and Murray over those two guys. You know, Boston. I'm not sure I'd go anywhere there. Yeah, I'm trying to look around the top teams. I don't know if there is anyone. There, but even historically, like I, I couldn't believe last night that that was the first triple double by teammates in the history of the NBA Finals. And I know it's a pretty small, you know, there's, there was only five or four to seven games every year, but you would have thought someone would have got that, some of the duels you look back at, you know, Shaq and Kobe or Jordan and Pippen, Stockton Malone, right? Those are all pretty good duos. Yeah, well, obviously Pippen, Jordan, I think, uh, you know, um, you know, the some people in, in Boston would say, "Hey, wait a second, uh, we had a few McHale and Bird were pretty good as well." But in in today's game right now, man, like Jokic and Murray, and they're you know, they're under contract for a few years. Like this could be the start of the next dominant team in the NBA. Like that doesn't mean they they're going to win every year. Golden State never won every year. They're very close, but man, they're fun to watch. And I just Miami played a great game in Game Two. It was almost like a perfect game for them. I think that's the only way they can win, and I, I think it's too hard to ask teams to play a perfect game every game. It's going to be tough, you know, but, you know, they've got the right coaching staff there, right? That guy's been at Spolstra, Spolstra's been around a long time, and they got the one game, so, and it wasn't like last time it was a blowout, right? It was, what was it, 10, 11 points, something like that? 15. Um, so if they can find a way to kind of get that again, uh, you know, have another good game, and, you know, Jimmy Butler, I don't count him out. He's just, he's just like an alley cat, that guy. So it'll be interesting to see what they can bounce back with for game four. And I, I, I do think this is Denver's to win. Um, you know, so I think it'll be hard. But even some of the support they got like that, Braun or Brown, don't call me Braun, you know, he, he's a pretty physical guy too and strong and driving the hoop. So it's fun to, fun to see what this, that young guy can do for that team and kind of out of nowhere, someone supporting the team. Now, the record, Struddy, wasn't um, – I don't think it was the first um, – I think it's the first teammates with 30-point triple-doubles, right? There's been ah, triple-doubles, but never 30-point triple-doubles. And also, Jokic is the first player ever in the finals to go 30, 20, and 10. <laughs> 32 points, 21 boards, 10 assists. Yeah, that's crazy. He, yeah. He's just amazing player to watch. and he's, But he's, he's like he's so smart. Not the most athletic guy out there, but, my God, is he a good player. Do you foresee like what what changes do the Panthers have to make tonight to win? Well, I think they got to stay off, stay out of the penalty box, number one, and control their emotions better. Like I know you're trying to get after those guys, but if if it takes you out of your own game or you're out of your own play, I think it's just it's just a, a recipe for disaster. Quick break. We'll return and have the Sports Theater TSN twelve sixty. Jason Greger, Connor Halley, Jason Strudwick with you. The Gregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Rolling through a lovely Thursday. It is hot. Get some sunscreen on. Get some water on. So we roll through the Gregor Show. Edmonton Sports Leader, TSN 1260. It's time to go around the NHL. Brought to you by McDonald's, your destination for chill summer treats. How about this? A Sunday or snack-sized milkshake, only two bucks. Or you can get a cone for a dollar. Oh, these are the days that you want to celebrate that. A buck. For a cone, two bucks for a milkshake. Stride is there every day, man. Every day. Could probably use a few of those in the heat of this uh, NHL final series in Vegas and Florida. And uh, Vegas, of course, uh, halfway in the Stanley Cup final. They need two more wins to pick up their first Stanley Cup victory. The uh, Florida Panthers, they're trying to get their first ever win 
in the Stanley Cup final. They are 0-6. Go back to uh, being swept by Colorado in 96, and now they are down 0-2. We'll see if that changes tonight as Ben Gotts joins us from the uh, Las Vegas Review Journal. Ben, I thought game one was really close. Could have could have went either way. Uh, game two, though, Vegas, uh, I thought, dominated for long stretches of that game. They are clearly the better team. Uh, the players are saying everything right. We know that Florida, this is a must-win situation, let's be honest. I know if they lose, they're not official. but they lose tonight, they're out. So they got to win. You know they're going to come hard, but do you see – any specific matchup that you feel Bruce Cassie will try to get on the road tonight? No, I don't. And I think that's been the secret sauce to this Knights team's success, right, is that they don't really care about matchups because they trust their depth so much uh, in this series and really all season. I mean, you think about it, the matchup that the Knights liked against the Kachuk line at home was actually their third defense pair, Zach Whitecloud and Nick Hague. Uh, against that Bennett line because they thought Nick Hag, because he's so long, he's six foot six, got that huge reach, that he would be able to bother Kachuk and be able to box him out of the net front and all that stuff. So if you're Paul Maurice and the matchup that Bruce Cassidy wants is your best offensive line against the third defensive pair, what do you actually try to go to or what are you trying to uh, line up? So I think what's been so obviously successful about the Knights so far is that they really, especially on the road, don't play the matchup game. They're willing to kind of roll with whoever. I'm guessing Bruce Cassidy tonight is probably going to start his fourth line and not really think you know twice about it because they've been able to have success with that. I mean, the fact that their fourth line started and had immediate success is why they blew out the Dallas Stars in game six uh, on the road. So that's really been kind of the secret sauce for this team all year, especially away from home where they've got the second-best road record in the NHL. In the playoffs, they're tied for the second-most road points uh, in the regular season is they don't get caught up in that stuff a lot, even when they're on the road, even when they're playing against good teams. They just kind of roll their lines and trust that everyone who goes over the boards can get it done. And for the most part, that's obviously what's been happening. Ben, who's the uh, the leader in that dress room talking and instructing his teammates to not react to anything uh, that Florida is trying to do you know, after the whistles or even, I guess, a little bit dirty between the whistles? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different guys, right? I think Alex Petrangelo, obviously, is a former Stanley Cup winning captain, uh, sets the tone uh, not just for the defensemen, but really all the different guys in the dressing room in terms of this is what it takes to win, this is what you have to be willing to do and sacrifice and have kind of this bigger picture view of don't get even now, get even at the end of the series. I think that's obviously been uh, really instrumental from his leadership perspective. Obviously, I think Captain Mark Stone has played a huge role in that. Other guys like Alec Martinez, who's obviously won uh, two Stanley Cups. There just are a lot of guys who have been at this point in the postseason before that have a lot of experience in these kind of games and that have been able to see the big picture and see what teams are probably going to try to do to them you know, when they get up. I mean, we've seen it in basically every series this far where you just look at Nick Hag himself. He has a late fight with Darnell Nurse in Game 4 against Edmonton. He has Max Domi go after him after the whistle and kind of flashes him the thumbs up in the Dallas series. And now, of course, he's had Kachuk go after him a couple times as well. So the Knights are used to this. They've been frustrating opponents seemingly all postseason because of their depth and their really strong defensive play. And so it's been a really level-headed room, I think, because of that and because they have some veteran leaders like Petrangelo Stone and Martinez kind of setting the tone of, 
this is what's going to happen and this is how we need to react because that's going to be what's best for us moving forward here. Yeah, Petrangelo, outside of his uh, Paul Bunyan chop on Leon Dreisaitl, I would say that's the one time he wasn't really adhering to his, uh, you know, save it till late in the series. He probably got away with uh, what could have been a worse suspension than that. The thing that surprises, well, that impresses me most about Vegas is how few goals they have surrendered all playoffs five on five. They just don't give up much five on five. And it's like, it's, it's, it's really hard to defeat a team. If you're only going to hope that you can score on the, on the power play, because Vegas just I I think in 19 playoff games they've only given up 26 goals five on five. Yeah, well, it's just been ridiculous because it's not only the defense, right? Their offense at five on five is insane. They've scored 56 five on five goals uh, in 19 games. Uh, the Dallas Stars are second in the playoffs with 37. They have 19 more goals uh, than the Dallas Stars, basically 33 or 50 percent more. Than the Dallas Stars. I mean, that's incredible. It's been insane. It's been an area they've obviously kind of dominated in all postseason because they've got that depth and there are no easy matchups or no easy shifts for opponents. Uh, they've controlled the game at that state, but to have that level of domination at five on five, I think, has really been outstanding. And it's helped them because, you know, early throughout the first three rounds, not really so far in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, the special teams were really their weak point where the power play wasn't clicking. It wasn't getting goals oftentimes when they really needed it to. Their penalty kill was vulnerable. I mean, yes, obviously Edmonton has a really good power play, but even Winnipeg, which didn't have a really good power play in the regular season, was scoring some goals. So you always wonder whether the Knights would be able to kind of outscore their problems at five on five, whether the special teams would eventually drag them back down. Uh, but they've been so, so good at even strength to such an incredible degree that it really hasn't mattered so far to this point. Ben Goss joined us, the Las Vegas Review Journal, talking uh, Panthers-Vegas uh, game three. The Panthers try to get back in this thing to make it a make it a series. When you look at uh, the, the play of uh, the goaltender Bobrovsky for Florida, is it that he's been off, or is there something that Vegas is doing that you've seen that is, that is making it, it, well so many goals pile into the net against them? Yeah, so I definitely think Bobrovsky has at least been a little bit off compared to the guy we saw against Carolina, right, who is so, so dominant. But I do think this is what the Knights have been doing to teams. I mean, listen, Connor Hellebuck's numbers in the first round were not great. Jake Ottinger's numbers in the Western Conference Final were not great. This has been a Knights buzzsaw throughout the playoffs that's been chewing up a lot of goaltenders and spitting them back out. I do think they're more varied this year compared to previous Nice teams that got this far in the playoffs, or at least close to this far, where they have a little bit more net front presence, net front drive. They're a little bit less reliant on their rush game, even though that's still a very potent part of their attack. They're able, thanks to guys like Ivan Barbashev, to get inside and get greasy goals. And they've really been able to confuse Flores coverage because of that. I certainly don't think Bobrovsky has gotten a lot of help from his skaters on some of these goals. He's even getting screened by his own defensemen because they're trying to chase the different Knights players all over the zone. And I think the Knights have done a really good job uh, confusing some of the man-to-man principles that Florida has. And that's something they used to great effect against the Edmonton Oilers as well, where they are able to get guys open in front of the net by running picks and screens for each other and stuff like that legally, or at least in a legal way where the officials weren't seeing it. So they've been able to do that again in this series. It's led to a lot of opportunities close to the net where you have a hard time saying Bobrovsky should be stopping all of these shots. You know, there's a couple that I think he would like to have back as well, and 
the Panthers are really going to need him to find his A game uh, moving forward here because otherwise it's probably going to get pretty late early in this series for them. Oh, yeah. I, Florida to win four or five to me seems like a almost impossible, uh, to, to be honest. I just, Vegas is good. They, they got depth, um, for sure, but they, they got depth, but they also have your best, your best players have to be your best players. And Jonathan Marcheseau now has what, 12 goals, I think, in his last 12 games in the postseason. Jack Eichel's producing. Um, Barbashev, you know, that Howden line has woken up. They've scored some big goals, uh, for them. And, you know, they get, they get contributions down the, the lineup. But when you look at the Con Smythe and you look at Marcia So and Eichel, I think it's pretty even depending on what you're going to value on the two guys. Either, either one, I think, are deserving for Vegas if they win. Yeah, it's so close right now, right? Because on the one hand, you had Eichel, who I think was the front runner for most of this postseason. And he's been so good in terms of setting up a lot of stuff. He's getting an assist in a lot of these Marcia So goals. He's got, you know, the 22 points leading scorer so far for the night. Also been really impressive defensively, which is something that teammates and, of course, Bruce Cassidy continue to harp on how good of a 200-foot player he has been in this postseason, using his size, length, and reach in order to disrupt plays on the back check as well. But the one kind of nitpick on Eichel's game right now is that he is in a nine-game gold drought, which seems insane given that the Knights in that time have won the Western Conference Final, gone up 2-0 in the Stanley Cup Final. But it's been a while since he scored a goal. And in the meantime, his linemate, Jonathan Marsh, so a guy who's obviously uh, been with this franchise since the beginning because he got picked up from the Florida Panthers, uh, cannot stop scoring. As you said, I think 12 goals in his last 12 games. He scored a goal in six of his last seven. He's got twice the number of goals that Eichel does uh, this postseason, and there's only one point behind him overall so it really does feel like marcia so is making a late push here that he might you know if you were to make me pick right now i would say marcia so might be a hair or two ahead but it really feels like it's going to go back and forth potentially these next couple games and that's going to be an interesting one to watch because they've both been so good they're obviously playing on the same line and they've just been eating offensively for most of the last little bit here they wanted a number one center, and they go out and they take Jack Eichel with the neck injury and all that uncertainty. How much credit has to be given just for that move specifically to their general manager and, and the rest of the management staff? No, I think a lot because I think, you know, I talked about it earlier. The Knights, when they weren't able to get back to this point uh, of the season, it was because of their offense. It dried up in the bubble in 2020 against Dallas. It dried up the next year, 2021, against Montreal where they couldn't score against Anton Hudobin or Carey Price. And when I asked Mark Stone a couple days ago about what he thought the difference in this year's team was, the first guy he mentioned was Jack, that his addition has just given them another kind of game breaker up the middle. And then it helped set up their depth because now, you know, center ice used to be a weak spot for this team, or at least the spot that you would kind of nitpick the most. Now they might have one of the best one through four center quartets in the NHL in terms of going down between Eichel William Carlson, Chandler Stevenson, and then Nicholas Waugh. It's turned that from, you know, an iffy part into a strength, and that's all because Eichel has given them that true number one guy up the middle and kind of slotted everyone else uh, down a peg where they can really be successful. And I think, you know, his creativity, his ability to transport the puck, his ability to hold on to it in the offensive zone and wait for his teammates to get open has just unlocked so much for this group. And obviously that's being put on display night in, a night out in the postseason. So, you know, the leap of faith that the Knights took that 
you know, he was going to come back. He was going to come back healthy from the next surgery that he had that had never been performed on an NHL player before. Uh, it's paying off for them in spades, and they definitely do deserve credit for being willing to take that risk on Eichel and trust that he, you know, was looking out for the best intentions for his body. And he definitely obviously looks pretty good out there right now. Great stuff, Ben. Uh, enjoy game three tonight. Appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks for having me. That is uh, Ben Gotts from uh, Vegas. And all the text lines are fired up. Gregor, thankfully you pointed out Petrangelo. How can guys say that Petrangelo is the leader for their team and uh, whatnot? Well, sometimes uh, maybe he would say, hey, do as I say, not as I do. But, uh, yeah, Petrangelo lost his marbles. I don't think there's any debate on that. Um, so he lost his marbles on one play. Did he do it repeatedly? Right, that's the thing. Has has he been disciplined every other time? And you can argue yes. So I agree that that play obviously was not what you're supposed to do. And the unfortunate part was Edmonton didn't make him pay. Right, they didn't make him pay. Yeah, yeah, and I th- yeah, that's fair. And I think, and I don't mean by getting back. I'm saying by not winning Game Five. Mm. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think when you look at it, Greg, that like he's taken, the, you know, that this series, I think this series and this series against uh, the Oilers are the two I saw him take a ton of hits, and 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 everyone's got a breaking point. And I and I know that it's you know it's odd you're saying, well, this guy is one of the leaders in that room. Well, he is, right? And he he probably said, hey guys, like I, I made a mistake, but you just snap after like it, you just keep getting pounded. To keep your patience is really difficult. Um, so I think he'd like to have that one back. Luckily, it didn't hurt his team uh, in their quest to what looks like a Stanley Cup victory. Yeah, and uh, Vegas, 58 goals at 5-on-5. Five five. That is the uh, like the, the NHL record in uh, the salary cap era is 60, set by L.A. and Boston, and they each played 26 and 25 games. Vegas has played 19. They're going to, you know, so they have at least two more games left. You would think they're going to break that record and uh, set a new mark. They're offensively, they've been absolutely killing it so far this season. When we come back, on Livingston joins us. Eminent Sports Leader, TSN 1260. 348, Eminent Sports Leader, TSN 1260. Gregor Strudwick, Connor Halley. With you as we get to the racing report, brought to you by Can Torque. They got lots to clean up right now. Discontinued pneumatic torque wrenches, flange spreaders, alignment tools, and more. Savings of 20 to 40% off all new items. Check them out at cantorque.com. As uh, Colin Livingston joins us once again. And, man, there is lots to discuss in the in the racing world, which is a, which is an exciting time. So I, I guess, Colin, I want to start, first of all, with, uh, man, the carnage of, of Indy. Jeez, the, uh, it was just... Uh, you know, there was crashes and places. I, I wanted lots of contact. Um, give me your thoughts on uh, Patricio Award and, and what you thought of his weekend. I uh, I think Award needs to get dragged behind the garage and get the living tar beat out of him. Um, boy, he's become a real arrogant SOB. Um, you know, he made a lot of really really questionable comments after Indy, uh, like after the 500 saying, you know, I don't care what he said. Um, the, the facts are he tried to make a real late pass. Um, it was never going to work the way he was trying coming from that far back and, you know, ended up taking himself out and made the comment after the race that next time he was going to take out Erickson with him or whoever would have been around. Um, you know, on the on the weekend, uh, sorry, a couple of weeks ago, Long Beach, 
uh, award made this suicide move, threw it in way late, bounced off Scott Dixon, launched Dixon into the wall. The only reason that, that he was able to make that pass was because Dixon was there. Ended Dixon's day. He managed to, to carry on for a bit before, um, before having some mechanical issues. Tried the same move again that, that he made on Dixon with, um, Oh, geez. No, I'm drawing a blank here, but it doesn't matter. Um, you know, tried throwing it up the inside. Um, I think it was Santino Ferrucci, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, they saw the move coming, backed out of it. Award just carried way too much speed. He was counting on that car to be there to bounce off of and, uh, and fenced it. And, um, you know, and for Struds, who, who seems to ask about, uh, some of my terms, fencing it is where you drive the car into the wall, um, when you, you crash yourself out, uh, because you hit the fence. So we just call it fencing. Um, you know, ended his day and then, you know, still goes on TV and complains about how, how the other drivers are at fault. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's a side effect of being part of that McLaren program, if that's kind of a, a side effect from from Zach Brown, um, or if this kid just really is starting to think that uh, he's untouchable within the series. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, that kind of stuff seemed to, to go on quite a bit during the race. There was a lot of, um, you know, as you said, Gregor, there was a ton of contact Um you know, Roman Grosjean, um, you know, made another boneheaded move coming out of the pits. Um, Scott McLaughlin on warm tires on the track. Grosjean just basically, uh, took the driving line away, gave, gave McLaughlin nowhere to go, uh, took him out. Um, but you know, for a first year race, uh, they moved this year, the, the race in Detroit went downtown. Uh, apparently over half the track. Uh, half the, the track surface, you were able to watch the race for free, uh, whether you got on top of a parkade or, or other places downtown. So, you know, hopefully that's going to, uh, you know, start drawing some, some decent crowds to, to that race. And, um, and hopefully they, they get some of these bottleneck areas, uh, straightened out so that we can see a bit more racing and, and a little bit less crashing. What's going on with Graham Rahal this year? He can't seem to find his, uh, groove. Yeah, man, that I, I don't know. I mean, their their team seems to be struggling, and um, I I think right now he's he's really um, you know low on confidence. Uh, they they didn't qualify for the five hundred. He got in when uh, Stefan Wilson uh, was hurt, and yeah, and then under caution um, made a mistake and took himself out of the race. So you know they're they're kind of. They're 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 at the bottom of the barrel right now, and and hopefully, I mean, Graham's a really good dude, and that that team has is been you know very successful for a long time. Uh, hopefully, they can they can find out where the where the miscommunication is, or or where the where the weaknesses are, and and uh, you know start to rebuild. Colin Lemison joins us at Sports Eater TSN twelve sixty. Um, uh, you know, a few other things about this, but, you know, Alex Palo and uh, pa- Paolo, excuse me, and Will Power, you know, they've dominated, but uh, uh, in the end, Paolo gets the edge. When you look at it, um, there's lots of passes on this one. I think you, you listed it as 189. Now, is yeah. is there always that many, or is that even high for Indy? 
No, this is um, you know, on on a road course uh like like Detroit. Um this is high like the the you know, for a street course, uh, the, the, the number one is, is generally, uh, Long Beach. Um, so this, you know, to see 189 passes and, and 142. So 142 of those were four position. Um, and it took me a while to figure out what a pass would be when, when you're passing, but it's not for position, but they count the, when, when cars are driving around other cars, um, that are maybe a lap down. You, you're still passing them, but you don't in, you, you don't change your position after that. But um, yeah, very very busy. Very you know, lots going on. But there there was a lot of driving that that was just so bad. Um, Stingray Rob, um, you know, coolest name in racing right now. But uh, he was racing. He was down laps. He was. Uh, you can kind of race the leader to fight to stay on the lead lap, but once. Once that, once you're down a lap, fighting people around you just makes no sense. You're not racing them. You're just really ruining their day because you're not quick. And he was driving people so hard. Um, you know, as a rookie, that is definitely not the way to, uh, to gain respect out there. Um, but, uh, they've got an off week, uh, this weekend and then, um, you know, back to a traditional road course at, uh, Road America here, uh, next weekend. Let's shift gears and go back to uh, or go over to uh, F1. When you look at yeah. uh, the situation uh, in F1, what is going on with uh, uh, Perez? He made fourth, but is he improving constantly as you see him go through the year? Man, he's really struggling. Um, he didn't uh, he didn't get into Q three, um, you know, which in the car that is by far and away the fastest. He he really had issues in uh, in Spain on the weekend. Couldn't seem to get it going until they got into to race trim. Uh, George Russell didn't make it. Uh, Leclerc didn't get out of uh, Q1. Um, so there was a lot of the the top guys, the top dogs, uh, really really struggling. And and you know it's it's not coincidental that they're basically the number two guys on the team. Although uh, you know Leclerc is probably their prime driver at, at Ferrari, but um, you know Perez was able to 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 get back up to fourth, but he got beat by the Mercedes and, and, um, you know, George Russell has the distinction of being the only driver this year that finished ahead of a Red Bull that started behind a Red Bull. So he actually like, you know, now Mercedes is showing a bit more pace. They probably moved to at least in, in those conditions on the weekend, they were the second fastest car for sure. Um, but, uh, it seems like they're, they're finally, uh, you know, moving the needle a little bit over at Mercedes. Yeah, and you wonder, like, like this season's as far as if you're looking to to win this year, I think it's pretty much over. It's just more so you want to compete and and get better, and so that was nice for them. It's a weekend off, but then it's the Canadian Grand Prix, so it comes up to Canada. Call. I was there last year. You know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, was quite impressed by the whole thing. I, I like the track layout. Um, you know, I think it's definitely got some some decent areas to pass. You look at it and like, do you think Mercedes like twenty four seconds still though? Like, what's a realistic goal? Like, could they be to fifteen seconds, or is that even too much to think that you'll be able to improve on in in two weeks' time? Well, it's not so much about the the gap like that because every track's different. I I paid quite a bit of attention during during the race on Sunday, and at lap eighteen. 
Hamilton was eight seconds behind uh, Verstappen. And he was, when when he, he had just got around Carlos Sainz, he was, at that point, they were running about a second a lap behind, um, behind Verstappen. Once Lewis got clear, the gap really started, not, not, coming down but it really started to uh level out that it seems like right now the the red bull at least in those conditions the red bull was running about three tenths of a second faster than what the mercedes was that's that's pretty encouraging i mean it over the course of of a bunch of ray or a bunch of laps that's obviously a fairly big gap but you just start chipping away and you start closing the gap and and hopefully at some point this year there's going to be a track that that you know Mercedes or Ferrari uh, have the edge, and and we can actually see a race. But I mean, I think from from positions two back, there was a lot of a lot of battling. I mean, it, it's it got a lot better uh, at at Barcelona than it has been, um, which which was kind of fun to see. There was lots of mid uh, mid pack passes and and lots of fighting. Colin, let's quickly get to your karting now. You, you got your, uh, sounds like your mechanical issues are behind you, but sometimes the racing uh, isn't always fair. What happened to you? Well, it, it started two weeks ago, um, I, and I just threw this up on Twitter, but, uh, um, you know, had uh, made some some fairly um, fairly good contact uh, in, in our last race two weeks ago, uh, did some damage to the cart, uh, bent the chassis a little bit, and, um, man, that set a, a course of events off. I mean, I've probably done, uh, 15 hours of driving just to, to pick up, you know, parts to drop my cart off to pick it up. Um, we've done hours of, of setup stuff and, um, you know, on and on, um, to the point that, you know, my cart was so bad last night. I, I did, I think, three qualifying laps over two sessions. The cart was okay, but it just didn't feel right. Uh, we tried to figure out what the problem was. Um, and it was, it was so bad that I, I sat out the first race because I didn't want to be on the, on the track if I didn't know what, what the cart was doing. Managed to kind of chip away. We, we, um, you know, kind of did a duct tape and bubble gum repair on the thing and, um, you know, managed to avoid a lot of the, the nonsense in, in heat two, uh, in the second video that I put up, there was a, just a parking lot when I got to turn two. And, um, while I would normally have shot the gap and tried to pass as many cars that, that were stopped as possible, I still didn't know what my cart was going to do. So I, I like literally stopped, waved everyone by because I wanted to get a bit of time to, to feel the thing out. But, uh, by the end of the night, uh, it still wasn't feeling great, but it was quick enough that, uh, you know, I managed to, to lock up the, uh, the fastest lap in my category and, uh, and finish first on the night. I mean, it wasn't pretty, but it, it worked. Sounds like you might got to get a little Ricky Bobby in you, buddy. If you're not first or last, so chop, chop out there. Hit the gap, <laughs> yeah. as you say. Right. You, uh, you're, you're welcome to come out and show me how anytime you like. <laughs> it's a lot easier from the outside uh, when I don't have to fix it. When I don't have to fix the car, because I think that that's the thing. Like it's obviously a little bit different when you when you're working in F1 and IndyCar, right? You got mechanic; they fix everything. It's not a big deal. But um, you know, a lot of other levels, you, you don't want to be the risk taker all the time because then you end up on the sidelines and missing out or spending way too much money to try to fix it. Uh, Callway, we'll chat with you uh, next week. I'm uh, looking forward to a little uh, NASCAR and any talk, and of course us. Uh, setting up F1 in Canada next Thursday.
Yeah, sounds good. It's Colin Livingston in the Racing Report, brought to you by Can Torque. Uh, let's get to the uh, con man and a sports center update. Brought to you by BIE Engineering, specialized in all your residential, commercial, and industrial structural engineering needs. Go to BIEENG.com. 